difficulties. Our children had a song for you, but they're going to move it out to next week. So uh, anyway, kids were going to perform a song, but, you know, these things happen. So we'll just, we'll just do it next week. So we had a great worship night last night. So I don't know if any of y'all made it. So I guess some people were sleeping in from all that, you know, but it was really good. We had a really great time. Uh, just really beautiful experience to, you know, get closer to the Lord. So it was really good. So today we're going to cover a topic that is uh, very important and primary to the Christian's life, right? As if there isn't one that wasn't, you know. But anyway, my goal this morning is to insert into you a way of thinking and to change perceptions if you have these false perceptions and to free your mind into seeing things and perceiving God differently. One of the biggest hindrances to us in walking with the Lord is our perceptions of God. And so if there's a barrier in our life that causes us to perceive the Lord falsely or perceive the Lord as he is not, it will always be a barrier. So if our perceptions of God, for instance, are that he is not good, then the way we approach him and the way we interact with him are going to be affected. You know, if we don't understand how his will has been structured and we have a perspective of his will that uh, is most often the dominant teaching in the church is the totalitarian view of God's sovereignty and the verses or the phrases that are used is God is sovereign over all. And so uh, that viewpoint um, is not necessarily, well, I'll say it's not, it's not the total viewpoint of scripture. And so when we view that, when we have a perception that everything that happens is, is directly related to the will of God, that is not true. God will use everything that has happened to bring it into his will, but not everything that happens is, a, is in accordance to his will. And you're gonna see why, okay? Because there's aspects of God's will. We have to understand God's aspects of will. We have to understand that we have a free choice in this matter. We have to understand that we have a delegated responsibility in this matter. And everything that happens isn't, you know, the car crash that happens and somebody dies or the boat accident that happened this morning. And a bit, that's not, you say that's God's will. That's not God's will. That's not God's will. It's God's will. That, you know, so we have to understand that there are other factors in play here. And so our perceptions of God is that not everything is in a, is, is that happens is in accordance with his will. But everything that does happen, God will redeem or can bring into accordance with his will. That's why it says he causes all things to work together for the good. So anyway, that understood. This is going to be a little instructional here this morning. So just put on your instruction caps. We're going to teach. So there's three aspects of his will. Number one is God has a sovereign will. You can say that with me. Sovereign will. This is, where, this, is, this is a truth, but it also becomes a hang-up. God is sovereign over everything. He rules and reigns. He's the final answer. He's the final authority. And because He's the final answer, and because He's the final authority, He has chosen to give a portion of His will to men. He delegates authority. He gives us free will. He gives us free choice. So there's a delegated authority, and with the delegated authority comes a delegated responsibility. So there's a delegated authority given to mankind, and there's a delegated authority given to the church. In other words, God hovers over that, but he is not directly involved in those choices unless he is invited to be. Understand? God stands above the free will choices, God stands above the free will choices and responsibilities and does not directly interact in those ways unless he's invited to. 
So, for instance, the choice, uh, you know, somebody, a tragedy happens in somebody's life or there's a trauma that happens in somebody's life due to people, places, and things, which is often the case, right? The things that happen in our lives are because we live in a broken world filled with broken people and we make broken choices ourselves. So the direct result of a lot of the things that happen in our life, the sin that brings death and the pain that enters our world is because the world is broken, the people are broken, and we ourselves are broken and we make broken choices. You understand? And that just, so not everything that occurs is directly related because God has willed it. He hasn't willed sin. He's willed salvation. However, we're still, there's still the consequences of sin that are moving our world. If I'm, am I making sense to you guys? Yeah, so there's a sovereignty and there's a delegated responsibility to that. So we have a sovereign will. God is sovereign. No question. But in his sovereignty, say this with me, in his sovereignty, he has delegated authority. Not all of it, but a big chunk of it. He does according to his will. This is Daniel. This is what sovereign will looks like. Daniel, the prophet, is speaking to a group of people who don't know God. And he's saying, listen, this God that you're speaking of or that I'm speaking of, he's sovereign. Whatever he wills, he does. Whatever he chooses, it happens. No one can hold back his hand or say, what have you done? So God is sovereign over all. This is true. But in his sovereignty, he's created a delegated authority. He's given us delegated authority or a delegated will. He's taking his will and he's saying, I'm delegating this and I'm giving you free will. And inside of the free will, I'm giving you something called permissive will. So he allows us the freedom to choose and he permits us to choose wrongly if we choose to do so. Ignorantly or arrogantly, he permits you to choose. You can choose wrongly if you know what you're doing and you can choose wrongly if you don't know what you're doing. So just be that, and again, what I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to differentiate from you is the understanding that God has delegated that authority. And so if he's delegated an authority to us, that means we have a responsibility, not just as humans, but we have a responsibility as Christians. So there's a delegated authority given to mankind, and there's a delegated authority and responsibility given specifically to the church. You understand that? And if the church does not rise, it's not going to get done. If the church does not do, it's not going to get done. It just won't. Nothing will, until the church takes its rightful place and begins to form itself and reach towards its responsibilities, nothing will change. God can will it from heaven. He's already willed it. He's willed it right now. He's willed it that glory come through the church. He's willed it. He's willed it that the church be the light of the world. He's willed it. He's willed it that the church be the salt of the earth. He's willed it. But we have a responsibility in that. There is something that we must do and be in order. It's always, a, and always say this with me. It is always and will always be a divine partnership. It has to, you have to understand your life as a Christian, your life in destiny is always in partnership with heaven. It's not exclusive of heaven. And it's, in other words, it's not us alone or it's not heaven alone. It's always and will always be a divine partnership. There's always a mutuality in everything that God has called us to do. We have to interact with him. It's always, that's, that's important to understand. But I guess one of the things that I'm coming up against is this teaching of sovereignty overall. It's very relevant. And I mean, I, you, I, even when I talk to Christians, I can see how they've been affected and impacted by some of this stuff. And they think, well, it's God's, God's sovereign overall. And I'm like, is he sovereign over rape? Is he sovereign over poverty? Is he sovereign over famine, sickness, and disease? Well, No. In other words, is he responsible for that? Because if you're going to say he's sovereign over all, then you're saying he's sovereign over all the human suffering in the world. And that's not the case at all. You know, 
So we have to understand that we can't say that unless we're willing to, because it, it just doesn't make sense. So the, the other part of the understanding is, is that if he has given us a delegated authority, then there's something that we need to be doing and aligning ourselves towards. He's sovereign over all. He maintains his sovereignty. So there are areas where God has given us authority, and there are areas where he has not given authority. He is sovereign. Nobody tells him what to do in these areas. He's sovereign over the end of the age. No one knows the day or the hour. Jesus is coming, and he's coming with his kingdom. And man has absolutely no say in that matter. We don't get to vote. Huh? We don't get to tell him when. We don't have any authority over that. Jesus is returning with the fullness of his kingdom and will bring the consummation of the age. It's going to happen. When? When the Lord in the Father, Jesus said it's committed unto the Father. When he says now, then it is. So the world can't destroy itself until Jesus says it's okay. There can't be a consummation of all things. The old things are going to pass away. They're going to pass away in a very destructive way, but they're going to give birth to something brand new. Jesus is going to renew everything. It's called palingenesia. That's the biblical term or the theological term, and it means renewal of all things. Jesus is going to renew. He's going to make all things new. You're going to get a brand new body. Aren't you glad? Right? And the older you <laughs> thank you, Jesus, you know. It's like everything is breaking down. It's going to be made right, and you're going to be eternal. You're going to be an eternal being in perfection. And that is a mind blower because we have no idea what perfection looks like or feels like. We don't know what we shall be, but we know that when he comes, we will be just like him. As Christ is eternally, so we shall be in form and in body. We'll all be different and unique, of course, but we're going to have an eternal body. He's going to make the earth new. There won't be hurricanes. There won't be heat. You know, everything's going to come back to an optimum like it was. That's the way the earth was created. It was created in an optimum. People lived a long time before the earth. The earth's been changed. The earth was altered during the flood. People don't understand that. When God flooded the earth, he punctured the, the water canopy. He tilted the earth and the, way, and the fountains of the deep came up and he switched, literally switched the orbit of the earth. The orbit switched on the earth. It's a 365 degree orbit. That doesn't sound like perfection to me. Perfection is 360. That's perfect circumference. Am I right? All of the ancient calendars are based on 360 days. So what happened? He altered the earth. He altered the earth. When Jesus returns, the Bible says he makes all things new. Tells us in Isaiah, when the Lord comes, he will shake the earth, will be shaken from its place like a drunken man. He's going to shake the earth. He's going to put the earth back in its rightful order. Hello. You know, what does that look like? I don't know, but he's going to do it. You know, there was some violent upheaval. You know, Noah wasn't just a rain and then Noah floated around on a boat for 40 days. The earth, there was violent transition that was going on on the earth for 40 days. God was violently moving the earth, and it was a violent transformation that was happening. That's why when Noah came out of the ark, everything was different. He came out, and he didn't realize, whoa, this is a completely different world. The earth had changed from what he knew when he went in. It had altered. And when we become back into Christ, we're going to come out. And when Jesus returns, and he creates the fullness of the world, and he restores all things, and makes all things new, it's going to be a world that we've never known. So it's, come on, give him glory. This is our hope, right? This is what we have hope in. He's going to be the eternal one coming. And so he is sovereign over all. He, nobody has the say as to when that happens. So we don't get the vote. We don't have a nuke. We don't have a UN summit and say, I say we launch nukes to bring about the end of the age. It's not going to happen. There's no vote in this. Well, I don't really think Jesus should come back and let's all vote. Let's enforce the sovereign will of man and tell God you're not coming back. You don't get the vote. He's coming. Whether you like it or not, no one can stop him. Behold, I come. 
Huh? Behold, he comes. Sun will flash from the east to the west and lightning. It says the sun will flash and through the lightning, Jesus will come and every eye will see him. Poof. And through the lightning, he will come. That's right. Ooh, I feel the spirit of God. <laughs> like, whoa. I stepped forward. I was like, whoa, what was that? Man, he said, the Bible says he will shout. He's going to shout. That's right. You don't think Jesus likes shouting? When he comes for his people, he's going to shout. And the angel's going to blow the shofar with the voice of the trumpet of the archangel. And the dead in Christ will rise. And we who are alive and remain, Matthew 28, he's going to send his angels. And he's going to take us. And the angels will carry us to him. Say, so everybody talks about rapture. How's it going to work? Well, it tells you in Matthew 24, excuse me. Matthew 24, he sends his angels to the four corners of the earth to gather the elect and take them to him. So you're going to get, a, you're going to ride an angel. Angels are going to carry you. What's that look like? I don't know. But it's in the Bible. Okay? It's going to happen. He's going to come through those clouds. He's going to sound the hello, and we're going to rise to meet him in the air. We who are alive and remain, that's what's going to happen. If you're dead in Christ, your spirit's going to be reunited with a heavenly body. So anyway, that's a whole other discussion. But he maintains his sovereignty over the end of the age. He maintains his sovereignty over what is right and wrong. This is big. Mankind, human government, does not get to vote on what is right and what is wrong. God alone establishes what is right and what is wrong. So if God says this is right and this is wrong, we don't get to go, well, I don't agree. I think it shouldn't be, that shouldn't be right and this should be right. I don't think that should be wrong. I think that should be wrong. We don't get to vote. We don't get to agree. So what happens is this is how it works. God has established the universal principles and he has released righteousness. Righteousness is what is right to God. And under righteousness flows blessing. So that when mankind, governments, whatever it may be, stands under righteousness, blessing flows. And under the area where there is no righteousness, blessing does not flow. That would be curse. The word curse simply means absence of blessing. So when mankind, governments, people choose things that are not right to God, we move ourselves under an absence of blessing. When we choose what is right to God, we stand under the flow of, of, of the blessing. Because that's what's going on in our world today. We have governments, societies, all these other people declaring what is right in complete contrast to what God says is right. God says this is what is right. And we go, no, 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 no. We think this is what is right. And while governments and people and societies can do so, in doing so, they remove themselves from the blessing that flows from righteousness and we inherit a curse. The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin brings reproach. So as our nation moves away and begins to declare and establish things that are not right to God, our nation's exaltation and position becomes diminished. And our nation and our land and our people and our society, according to the scripture, and we see it already, becomes a reproach. And you know where we see the reproach? You know where the Bible talks about the reproach? The Bible talks about the reproach being an upheaval within the land. So there's upheaval within the land. That's the first sign of the reproach. The second sign of the reproach is the loss of a generation. The fruit is born through the children. And so what we see, our first impact of our absence of righteousness to God is an upheaval. God said the, the land will turn violent against you and will turn against you. The land itself, the environment in which you find yourself will be in constant upheaval because you're not in line with me. The second thing is the loss is the loss of generation. We pay in the fruit of our, of our bodies. 
our children become. And we have a lost and confused generation if we've ever seen. Have you been to our public schools for the love of God? I mean, man, I talk to these kids and I'm just like, what are they teaching you? It's not even what they're teaching them. It's what they're not teaching them. And then what they're allowing. I'm like, you, it's just nuts, man. You know, and we end up paying in our generations because we align ourselves in a position and a force an agreement into things that are not right with God. Do we understand this? We don't get to vote what's right and wrong. We don't. We get to align with what is right and receive the blessing. Or we get to deny what is right and receive the curse. It's our choice. You see? It's just really the facts. And it flows nationally. It goes systemically. It goes all of this stuff. A lot of the injustice that we see in our country is because a lot of the things that have been happening and all of the turbulence that's happening is there's injustice within our courts. There's injustice. There's oppressive systems and regimes that are not right with God. And they're, they're perpetrating unrighteousness in our land. And the land becomes upheaved. The land's upheaved. It's just what happens. I mean, it's just, you know, there needs to be righteousness in our land. We need to reap justice for all. No exceptions. Righteousness for all. We don't get the choice to determine sexuality. And I know this is where we come right up into people's living rooms. You know, because Christians have a hard time with it because they think it's unloving. It's not unloving. The, the most loving thing you can do is to tell someone, this is not who you are. It's who I feel I am. Well, that's not, that's not true. What is true is God has fearfully and wonderfully made you, and this is who you are. You're a son or a daughter of God. You're called to live according to a high purpose. You have a future and a destiny that does not lie there. That is a doorway unto death, not unto life. That's a loving thing to say. There's no judgment. People are free to choose. I tell people all the time, you're free to choose. Just adjust your expectations. That's all. If you choose against the Lord, the Bible says, met that person, no, they will receive nothing from God. That's what it says. So you say, well, I have a free choice. Of course you do. But you need to adjust what you were expecting to receive. You're going to receive nothing. So in your choice, you have created a vacancy. So you cannot have the choice and expect the blessing because you've just moved yourself under vacancy. If you choose what is right, that's what he told Cain. If you do what is right, Cain, the blessing will flow. If you do not do what is right, sin will devour you. That's the point. God is sovereign over the way of salvation. Here's another pluralistic thing that's in our culture. We live in a culture that's very pluralistic. I think there's many ways to God. You know, I always tell people I'm glad when I fly on a plane, the, the captain doesn't go, there's many ways to land an airplane. And I'm thinking I'm going to land it upside down today. Everybody in favor of that? There's one way to land an airplane, wheels down, man. I mean, that's, that's how we land the plane. There's one way of salvation. We don't get to vote. Not everybody's saved. And again, that's a hard truth. That's a hard reality to accept. But it is a truth. It is an inconvenient truth. Christ died for the whole world, but not everyone is saved. Amen. It's just the truth. And salvation is not found in Buddha. Salvation is not found in Krishna. Salvation is not found in our PhDs and MBAs and all these other things that we get. Salvation is not found in L. Ron Hubbard or Tom Cruise. Salvation is not found in any... There's no other name given under heaven by which men may be saved. And it is only at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. God is sovereign over that. We don't get to vote or choose the way of salvation. He has declared the way of salvation. And the son was brutally murdered and risen from the dead in order that there would be one way. One way. If there are many ways, Christ died in vain. Nobody died for you except Jesus. Buddha didn't die for you. 
L. Ron Hubbard didn't die for you. Tom Cruise isn't dying for you. Nobody's dying for you. Jesus died for you. And his blood was given that there was one way. There is not a vote on that, ladies and gentlemen. And it's only through Christ. So we need to pray. We need to believe. We need to do that others may come to know him. He's sovereign over that. He's sovereign over your design and creation. He's made you in his image and likeness. You cannot be everything you want to be, but you, without a question, can be everything you were designed to be. That's right. Thank you, Jesus. He's like, well, I think I can be everything I want to be. Really? You see, ever see American Idol? I always tell people that. See how many people want to sing on American Idol? They just think, but I really want it. Well, you're not everything you want to be is going to happen, but everything you can be designed to be. But I have a passion for the music business. That's great. It doesn't mean you're a singer. Maybe you're a producer. Maybe you're a behind-the-scenes person. Maybe you're a promoter. You know, your calling may be in the music business, but it may not be in singing is not your, is not, you know, you can't carry the tune in a bucket, man. I mean, come on, let's just, let's just be honest here. So while you can't be everything you want to be, you without question can be everything you were designed and created to be. And you were designed and created in his image. And sometimes we don't like what we're created and we war against what we were created to be. God has a verse for that. He says, can the potter say to the potter, why have you made me thus? Some people go, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a singer and I want to be an athlete. Well, he made you a singer. So find your hope there and d- develop that. This is key to destiny and purpose. The key to destiny and purpose is understanding who and what you are and becoming that and expressing Christ through that. Through that. I tell people this and it's hard and I'm often misunderstood when I say it, but I say it anyway just because I try to be vulnerable with people and I try to let people understand where it is that, that like, I can relate to this and I feel like maybe God has allowed this to happen in my life so that other people can, can do it. Teaching and preaching is not my first desire. It's not. I, I take it as an honor. I receive it. I humble. I bow my knee and I give it everything I got and I don't hold back at all. But the point is... My desire is to do other things and be other things. My desire, my wife will tell you, is not to be at the forefront. It's not. But God has given me a gift, okay? And it became evident to me again and 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 again that I carry a gift. And that gift is not me. That gift is given to me. And if it is given to me, it cannot be taken away. The gifts and callings of God, ready? Gifts and callings of God, people, are without repentance. God doesn't change his mind. He gifted you. He called you. He didn't change his mind. He said, well, you don't know what I did. It doesn't matter what you did. The gifts and callings of God, he doesn't change his mind. Come on, aren't you glad? You can't screw it up. You can't screw it up. So you may as well align with it and start going for it. Because you can't say, because where people are like, oh, I messed it up. I got a gift and God had called me and he had this purpose for me and I messed it up. No, you didn't. Maybe you messed up. You may have delayed the timetable, but get back into purpose. And not only get back in purpose, and let me just give this word. If you have a, feel like you have a delayed timetable in your life, you need to pray and declare over your life prophetic acceleration that God would redeem the wasted years and would bring you to where you need to be rapidly, translate you. But the point is, is that I take what God has given me and I submit it to him. And you say, well, now why wouldn't you want to preach and teach, Kevin, if you have a gift? And you know why? Because it's insanely vulnerable. It's, it's incredibly vulnerable. If you want to be effective, you have to be vulnerable. And, if, and does anybody like to be vulnerable? Come on, let's be honest. Does anybody like to present themselves for critique? 
No, not really. Does anybody really want to just express and then like, wow, you know, it, it just it just isn't there because it's vulnerable. But my, his strength is perfected in my weakness. If you're going to be effective, this is why a lot of times I'm going to help you guys out here. This is why a lot of times pastors and leaders project a pride or an arrogance. It's not that in fact that they're really prideful or arrogant, although they project it. It's that they're really vulnerable and they don't want to be vulnerable before the people. So they pretend that they're not when in fact they are. Because people don't want to feel vulnerable. And so that's the point. And so when you're called into a gift, a calling, when God has something on you and for you, you are going to feel vulnerable. You're going to feel vulnerable. Am I right, Hank? Whatever it may be, God calls you out and you're called to do certain things and you're going to feel vulnerable. And if you don't feel vulnerable, it's probably he's not calling you. But you've got to work through the vulnerability and you've got to partner back with the vulnerability. When I'm in with the Lord, I'm like, I can't be this, I can't be that, I can't be this. Because I have a problem with being not who I am or being false <laughs> and pretending that I'm someone when I'm not. You know? And I told the Lord when he was presenting all of this to me, I'm like, I don't want to do that. I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. And I don't know what I'm doing, so you're going to have to bear with me until I figure it out. And God's like, great, fantastic, now we can go somewhere. You're not going to be like everybody else, Kevin? Awesome! You mean you're not going to parrot and be a puppet and be a mimic of the guy down the street or this person over here? No, I'm not. Great! You're going to be you? Yes! You're going to be exactly who I designed you to be? Yes! You're going to be willing to work on your weaknesses and see your failures and become more than you are? You're going to be open to that? Yes, Lord. Great! You're going to do it even though you don't have a clue as to what you're doing? Yes. I'm going to use my limited knowledge and I'm going to do what best I can with what I know and believe that what I lack you're going to supply. And heaven says, wonderful. Do you feel encouraged? Because you should. You don't have it all together. Some of you have gifts and callings on your life. You have dreams, hopes, all kinds of things. And you don't feel like you have what it takes. You've got what it takes. You have what it takes. And you think that heaven's displeased because you don't know what you're doing. Heaven's not displeased. Not at all. Heaven's displeased when you refuse to learn. Heaven's displeased when you don't want to change. And heaven's displeased with cowardice. Those who draw back my soul has no pleasure in, the Bible says. Jesus doesn't like chickens. He likes eagles. I don't know if you know that. He doesn't say, I will redeem you and I'll come and rescue you like a chicken. He says, no, I'm going to bear you off on eagles' wings. His kingdom people are eagles, not chickens. So you've got to cross the chicken line. You've got to dare to become who you were destined to be. You've got to bring the weight of the world. You've got to bring the weight of who God has called you to the world. And let the world deal with it. Deal with it. And deal with yourself along the way. I had a lot of suppression on me. I don't know who this is for. This is for somebody. There's some liberty coming into the room tonight. Or today. I'm still on last night. <laughs> There's some liberty coming in here, man. I had callings on me and I had a lot of people around me suppressing it because I didn't fit their box and their mold. You know? And I wasn't like them. And then I felt like the Lord was dealing with me and as through conversation, God wouldn't let me go. And he was telling me, I don't need you, nor do I want you to be like them. I want you to be like you. And I was afraid that I was going to make a colossal mess. That the weight that God had put in my life was so strong that when I really brought it forward, I felt like I was going to crush everything in the room because I just don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to wield the power that I carry. Neither do you. You all carry power. You know it because you feel it. 
There's a substance in you that is greater than who you are, and you know it, and you don't know what to do with it. You have no idea. You gotta bring it forward and actually see what it is. And you're like, wow, that's crazy. You gotta bring out who you are. You're gonna make a mess, man. Don't be, don't be thinking you're gonna get it all right. You aren't gonna get it all right. If you get it all right the first time, you probably, again, it's not Jesus. You're not gonna make a mess, but that's okay. The issue isn't making a mess. The issue is backing up, evaluating it, and changing it. Learning, learning, learning. It would be called finding your voice. That's the idea, finding it. So I don't know who that's for, but that's for somebody. So we'll just pull that out into the room there. He's sovereign over your design and creation. He's made you on purpose with a purpose. You have a destiny. It's like last week. We're not chosen here. You're not chosen. You're chosen in a generation. You're not just a chosen generation. You're chosen in your generation. There will never be another you, ever. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. There will never be another genetic imprint, fingerprint, earlobe. There will never, ever, ever be another you. You are called into the world and created on purpose for a purpose and created for a destiny. And so it behooves us that if that is a truth, which it is, then we should discover what exactly it is that we're called to be and to do. That's going to take some work, and that's going to cause you to a lot of uncomfortability. And we pull away from destiny because we don't like being uncomfortable. Destiny's uncomfortable. You have to wrestle with you. You've got to wrestle with God. You've got to pull against things. You've got to take things apart. That's how you become. And if you're not willing to do that, then you're never going to become. Destiny is going to cause your work. It's going to call work to come out of you. If you're going to be, you have to ask the hard questions. Most people don't even ask. They have the questions inside of them, but they never ask. Why am I here? Who am I? What am I? Why am I? What is it that you want from me? Who am I to you, Lord? Who am I in my generation? Who have you called and created me to be in my generation? And they think God's going to give them some big grandiose thing. He may give you one little word and see what you do with it. He may say, you're a merciful person in your generation. Go, be, go show mercy. And we go, well, that isn't what I was expecting because the next word is directly attached to the first word. And if you won't do the first word, he's not going to give you a second word. You understand that? Amen. I come to Christ, I ask Jesus. I had a pastor tell me exactly what I just told you. Ask the Lord these questions. I asked the Lord. And you know what he did? He answered me. He said, you're going to lead my people. That's exactly what he told me. And Sherry, Sherry knew me then. <laughs> like, I, I couldn't lead a dog across the street at that time in my life. I didn't know. I barely knew my right hand from my left hand. I was very young in the Lord. I didn't know anything, but I heard the Lord say that to me. And that became the meditation of my life. And that became the purpose of my life. And even though my life didn't seem to align with that all of the time, I always held that word to my heart. I always held that word to my heart. And I feel, and, and that is how God has begun to do it. But I began to press into that. I'm like, okay, I'm going to lead God's people. You know what I began to do? I began to be a student of leadership. I have an entire library of leadership books, CDs when they had them. I actually have, I even have cassette tapes, and you're ready for this? VHS tapes on leadership. <laughs> Why? Because the Lord over my life was that I was to lead his people. And if I'm going to lead his people, then I better understand some things about leadership. And if I'm going to lead in these ways, then I better understand these things. And one of the things that struck me was John chapter 3. I feel like we're having a conversation here this morning. And one of the things that struck me was John chapter 3 when Jesus looked at Nicodemus and he said, are you teaching my people and you don't know these things? 
are you leading my people and you don't know these things? And I thought, wait a second. Well, I better understand spiritual truths before, <laughs> before I start leading God's people because the expectation Jesus has upon his leaders is that they understand spiritual truths. And so I began to be a student of spiritual truth. Do you see the work that's involved here? You got to put some dickies on, ladies and gentlemen. Get your car hearts out. Get out your overalls. It's going to take work and it's going to take time. Destiny takes work and destiny. So you need to get a word from the Lord. Who and what are you in your generation? Who and what are you in heaven's eyes? Somebody gets a word and you need to take that word. And here's what we do. I'm going to tell you. I tell you, I see this all the time. And I've actually become to study this move of the spirit in the realm of the prophetic. And I watch how God's word is released. And I'm astounded at the prophetic word that's released. We had a prophetic word released last year at, at um, uh, worship night. And the testimonies that come back off the prophetic word that was released into people's lives are just like, like a wave. It's just like it's amazing. But what ends up happening is, is people take prophetic word and they just rock back and forth in their sandals or their shoes and just go, wow, isn't that wonderful? God says I'm divine royalty. That's wonderful. And off they go. And I'm like, what are you going to do with that word? Are you going to do anything with that word? Are you going to press into heaven and ask heaven, what, is there a greater understanding of this word? What does this mean? I see you and there's mercy all over you. There's a kindness and a compassion over you and people are drawn to you. There's a charisma upon you and God has put a, such a supernatural, attractive favor on you. What are you going to do with that? That's for you, by the way. But that, what, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Are you going to rock back and forth and go, oh yes, Jesus loves me. That's good. Take it to your heart. But do something with the word. Do something with it. Take it and begin to press towards the Lord. What does this mean? What do you want me to do with it? What, how do you want me to do? And begin to press. And as you press out, formation starts to happen. You understand? We think that God's going to go, you are going to be a missionary to Africa and I'm going to change the entire continent of Africa through your life. We think that's how he's going to speak to us. That's not how he's going to speak to you. He's going to give you a still small voice and he's going to give you one word and he's going to step back and see what you do with that word. And then you go back to him for the word and you'll probably get the people that don't do anything with the prophetic word. They tend to get the same prophetic word over and over and over and over and over and over again. And they're like, you know, I've heard that word over my life for four years. Duh. Why do you think you've heard that word over your life for four years? Because God is calling you to do something with the word. Yeah, I've had people tell me that. Oh, yeah. Two years ago, somebody gave me that same word. I'm like, yeah, have you done anything with that word? And I mean, that's what I want to say. Of course, I don't. Have you done anything with the word that was given to you two years ago that's now being brought back to you? Or are you going to wait another two years until it comes to you again? Or are you actually going to harvest the word and do something with it? Destiny's calling, ladies and gentlemen. Destiny speaks. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? How long until you grab what I'm saying to you and begin to hold it and push into what it is I've called you to be? And again, I didn't feel, look, or act anything like what God had called me to be. You know why? Here we go. We're going to reinforce this. You ready? You're going to say it with me. Jesus, Jesus. come on. Jesus, Jesus. Always, always calls me always. Who, who and what I am, what I am. long before I get there. He calls you who and what you are long before you get there. Jesus calls destiny forward. That's what he does. He calls you what you are, world changer. I don't look like a world changer. I don't feel like Peter, rock. Did Peter look like a rock? No. Peter looked like a sinking ship. That's what Peter looked like. But, you know, anyway. So he's sovereign over your creation. So that's for somebody. Next slide, please. Did anybody get anything out of that? Yes. 
Somebody, one of you, two of you, 10 of you. That's awesome. First service didn't get that, that so this is, this is something going on here. So I just try to let God roll it out. So. so he has a sovereign will, and in his sovereign will, he delegates. What does this mean? May you be blessed, O Lord of the heavens. The heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he's given to who? What's that last word? Children of who? So who, who does the realm of the earth belong to? The children of men. So who rules and reigns in the earth? Children of men. Okay? We represent heaven's government in the earth, but children of men rule and reign. In other words, as men decide righteousness or unrighteousness, so goes the earth. God will not get involved unless he's invited. That's how he works. God wants everybody to be saved, but he won't save anybody unless he's asked. Am I right? Come on. He's not doing anything unless he's invited. Because he's given the sovereign rule of this world to us, therefore we must invite him. That's a whole other teaching. When you begin to understand that you are the arbiter between heaven and earth, that you are the priest before the Lord, and you stand between time and space, arbiting one world into the other, that's a concept. There's something to press into for understanding. When you understand that's who you are, your role is that, things are going to shift for you. Everything that happens in this world is not the result of God's sovereign will, because the earth he has given to men. Does God use choices? Of course. Does God use circumstances? Of course. But just because he allows circumstances or the circumstances happens, he permits them, doesn't mean it's his will. He'll use them. People do you wrong, but, God, but you know what? They can't do you wrong because favor's on you. They can't, they, 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 Balaam tried to curse Israel, and he couldn't do it. Every time he pronounced a curse, God overrid him with a, with a blessing. Every time God, somebody tries to curse you, Jesus overrides it with a blessing. You can't be cursed. They can't destroy you. Even if they want to, he will work all things out to your good. He'll use it. You see it in the Garden of Eden. When Adam fell, all of creation fell. Adam and Eve didn't just fall and all of the human race. The world itself fell with them because they were bound to the world. They were in charge of the world. And so as Adam and Eve went, so went the world. So went the culture, so went the system. The creation fell. We see Jesus in Matthew 28, all authority and power, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You guys know that verse? And then he says what? Did he say this? Sit back and watch me work. Is that what he said? Answer is no, that's not what he said. He said, go. I have the power and authority. I'm delegating it back to you, heaven's government, back to you. You, therefore, go and do something with it. But the church goes, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. Let's just sit back and see what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to do only what we partner with him to do. If we don't partner with him, Jesus isn't doing anything. I got news for you. Until we start partnering with Jesus, his will can be present, but his will cannot be manifest without the presence of someone calling forth the manifestation. The abiding presence and the manifest presence are two different things. He's here, he wills to do something, but he needs somebody to help him do it. He needs a bridge, and you and I are the bridge. We have to pray. We pull heaven to earth, we release, we activate the power of God. That's how it works. But we take an, we take an objective position and we just say, oh, well, gee, well, Jesus just must not have wanted to do something there. Really? You know, man, uh, you know, that genocide that happened in Africa, you know, Jesus just wanted, maybe wanted 380,000 people to be killed in six weeks. That's just really what he wanted. Is that what he wanted? Did he want a voice? Did he want someone to stand up? Did he look for a government to take their rightful place? Did he look for a church to begin to take their rightful place? Did he look for something else? Did he look for some other means? Is that really what he wanted? Of course that's not what he wanted. 
But we see, we have to understand this concept that we have been committed something. Mankind has been committed something. So the way that our government chooses righteously or unrighteously will affect us. The way that the culture chooses righteously or unrighteously will affect everything. And it has nothing to do with the will of the Lord. And the same for us. It's a divine partnership on earth as it is in heaven. Deuteronomy 30, I call heaven and earth together against you as witnesses. Here it is. God says, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And then he says this. Choose what you're going to serve. But I choose that you would choose life. So here we have God presenting us with a choice, and we see him telling us what his choice is. His choice is that we would choose life. But he's not making that choice for us. You understand? His choice is that we would choose righteousness, but he's not making that choice for us. His will submitted, literally, to our will. He will reinforce our will. He will allow our will and permit our will to go. This has to be understood. Because otherwise, what ends up happening is we throw off our human responsibility, our ability to respond, and we cast all of the blame and all of the nonsense on God, and it, it adversely affects your relationship with the Lord. You begin to see and understand God in a negative light. When you understand the problem's always on your side, that's going to set you free. And you understand that you're accepted even if you don't know what you're doing. That's going to set you free. So, okay, the problem's with me, and God doesn't reject me because I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm going to go to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, what's my problem? <laughs> what am I doing wrong? What am I doing right? What am I not doing? What should I be doing? Maybe I shouldn't be doing nothing. What is it that you're telling me? He's not going to reject me because I don't know what I'm doing. It's going to set you free. So there's a permissive will. He has given the man the right to obey or disobey, to follow or not to follow. Would we agree with that? It's true. He's given man the ability to follow or not to follow. Our lives, our societies will reflect the path that we have chosen. He's given us choice. He's established, Romans 13 tells us he's established human government. Human government is of the Lord, but the choices that human government make are not always of the Lord. So he has divined a sovereign system in which human government can be established, and he's permitted human governments to make choices Rightly or wrongly. And it's the same in the individual life. It's the same in the life of the church. The church has a mandate. The church as a whole, the church corporately and collectively has a mandate to change the world. We're salt of the earth and light of the world. That sounds like a mandate to me. Do you think that just happens by default? We're just the light of the world? I don't know if anybody Christians walking around like a lighthouse, like just lights beaming off them. To be the light of the world requires intention, requires you to do and be something. To be the salt of the earth requires intention. You have to be and do something. It doesn't happen by default. If you walk into your office on Monday morning or Sunday morning or your school, wherever it is you are, and people go, wow, you just, this place is just seasoned with salt when you walk in. I'm blinded by the light when you walk in the door. I doubt it. But when you begin to reflect the love and the kindness, the compassion, the power, the truths of the gospel, all of a sudden the place becomes seasoned. All of a sudden the place becomes a light and illuminated. We have to do something. So he's given us our lives and our societies will reflect the paths that we've chosen. Next slide. So we have a permissive will. Next slide, please. Ready for this one? I was praying about this and I felt like the Lord gave me this word. I asked him about his permissive will and he said, Kevin, I don't always agree with what I permit. <laughs> Say it with me. The Lord does not always agree with what he permits. He permits people to choose right and wrong, but it doesn't mean he agrees with the choice. You understand that? He permits you to choose right and wrong, but it doesn't mean the Lord agrees with the choice. He's not agreeing, doesn't necessarily agree with the choice, but he permits it. 
So if God permits what, if God has a permissive will or God's sovereign or God's ruler over, why doesn't he do something? Well, first of all, he already has. He's given us the cross. He's given us gospel, the Christ. Secondly, that's for us. Secondly, he's created a body, which is called the church, and he's empowered the body with his spirit and a mission and a mandate. And so if the church will not take her mission, will not take her mandate, nothing's going to change. How do you know that? Well, I'll give you a little Bible story just to reinforce it. There's many others, but I, I choose this one because I really like this verse. The Bible says in Romans, all of creation groans for the coming of the Son of Jesus Christ. Is that what it says? No. All of creation groans for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Creation isn't groaning for the return of Jesus Christ. The church is groaning. People are groaning. We're all moaning and groaning. Come back, Jesus. Come back, Jesus. But the creation and society itself, the world itself, is going, sons and daughters of God, where are you? They're not going, come back, Jesus. The earth is going, sons and daughters of God, where are you? All of creation is groaning for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God because the creation has been subjected to futility. Why is the creation in futility? It means the world is meaningless, lifeless, and empty because sin has subjected the earth to futility. But Jesus, it says, but he. So we have a futile world that's crying out for the sons and daughters of God to help redeem it from its emptiness and its vanity. So the world's subjected in humanity, but Jesus subjected the system into hope. Sin said, we're going to make it futile. Jesus said, no, I'm going to put it under hope so that when the sons and daughters come, the creation itself, this is the verse, will be delivered into the liberty of the sons and daughters of God. So when the sons and daughters of God understand who they are, what they are, why they are, begin to take their rightful place and begin to operate in bringing the flow of heaven to the earth and bringing the redemptive story of Christ through all means to the earth, the Bible says creation itself will be delivered from futility into liberty. What does that mean? The world will change. Systems, societies, governments, neighborhoods, everything will change. Not by the coming of the return of Jesus Christ. Maranatha, Lord, may you come today. But the creation will not change unless the church understands who and what we are. This is why, if we don't understand this in Romans, this is why we don't get it. This is why generation after generation after generation after generation after generation after generation passes and nothing changes. Because the church does not understand who and what they are. And we allow an embalmed doctrine, the doctrine of the dead, to permeate the church that says God's sovereign over all. And everything that happens is according to his sovereign will. It's all his sovereign will. Really, it's all, it's just, everything is God's sovereign will. Every single thing. You, you know, I was just reading an article. I was telling Sherry about it. I was reading this article and the guy was saying, well, we know God, there's evil things that happen within the sovereign will of God, but we're not quite sure why. This is a theologian who runs a very big Bible college quote saying this. And I'm like, duh. The reason it happens is because you don't understand delegated authority. You don't understand God is not giving us evil. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above, in whom there is no darkness nor shadow of turning. So darkness doesn't come from Jesus. Huh? Is it true or not? Promise or poem? Which one is it? Darkness doesn't come from Jesus. Darkness comes from a fallen, broken system subjected to futility. Redemption comes when sons and daughters of God understand who they are and begin to propagate the liberty of the gospel into their areas in redemptive world. The world will change. The world will change. 
This happens individually, this happens collectively. We do this as a church. One of the things we're working on collectively, we want to do the school because we believe that collectively the sons and daughters of God can take their rightful place, can speak into a generation, and can have a stake in the ground and say it's not going to happen anymore. We're going to bring a redemptive truth to our children and we're going to transform a generation and we're going to see the people delivered into a liberty that they've never known. That's what we believe. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we're stepping into. And we don't know what we're doing. And that's okay. <laughs> we fly by the seat of your pants, you dang straight. That's awesome. We drive buses without brakes, dang straight. We sure do. We don't know where we're going and we don't know how to stop. So that's it. But we're going for it. We're going for it. We're going for it. We believe this to the point that we're actually going to do something. That's what faith is. Faith is belief to the point of action. You can believe it all day long and it means nothing to you until you apply it and do it. That's faith. As James said, you say you have faith, great. Show me what you believe by your actions. Faith means nothing until you begin to do the very thing that you believe. If you believe you're a world changer, then step into that light. If you believe you have a calling and destiny, then begin to pursue it. Begin to hunger for it. If we believe collectively that the world, the society, will be delivered into a liberty of the sons and daughters of God, okay, well, let's go see if this works. I know it will work. <laughs> I know it will. And there's so much opposition against this. It's just a simple little thing, and there's just so much opposition. I'm like, my God, because we're coming up against the stronghold. You know you're hitting the target when the enemy is fighting back. He's feeling threatened, and he knows the sons and daughters of God are rising. That's why he wars so hard against identity. Identity in the culture, gender neutrality, identity within the church, who and what we are within the church. Why do you think he wars? Because he understands that when the church rises in its identity and the church understands who they fully are, it's, it's, it's not only over, it's been over for a long time, but the reality of what is true is now going to happen to him. The enemy's been defeated for a long time. He's a defeated foe. He has no power and authority. He's a squatter. He's a trespasser. That's all he is. But he cannot be evicted until the sons and daughters of God rise and take their rightful place. Until then, he'll occupy it until we decide it's ours. It's true. It's true. He'll occupy our schools until we take them back. He'll occupy our government until we take it back. He'll occupy your family until you take it back. He'll occupy a generation until we, the sons and daughters of God, take it back. Even if we don't know what we're doing, you know? And it could be ugly. We took it back. Say, man, you took it back and it's really a mess. Yeah, yeah, it's a mess, but it's ours and we can take it back. And that's the point. It belongs to us. It is ours. It is our inheritance. His desire is that all will be saved. Here we go. I just want to get, reinforce this idea. Sovereign and permissive will. Sovereign and delegated authority. We need to understand this. All will be saved. God wills that all will be saved. He wishes that none will perish, but all will be saved. That's the, that God's will is that everybody be saved. Will everybody be saved? No. So if his sovereign will is that everybody will be saved, clearly there's a delegated will in here somewhere. Clearly there's a will of man in here somewhere. God says, I want the whole world to be saved. But the reality is, it's not all will. Because not all will humble themselves. God's desire is that everybody be spirit-filled. Ready for that one? Here we go. Therefore, do not be foolish and thoughtless, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be a fool and don't be thoughtless. Here's the will of the Lord. The will of the Lord is not you be drunk with wine or live a life of foolishness and corruption. That's what it's saying. The will of the Lord is that you are filled with the Holy Spirit and being constantly guided by Him. 
Jesus wants spirit-filled believers. He doesn't just want believers. He wants spirit-filled believers. How do you know? Because it tells me right here, that's the will of the Lord. The will of the Lord is not that I know the Holy Spirit, or I know of the Holy Spirit, or as I wave the Holy Spirit when he passes by, or I shake a little bit when I get a tingle, but that I be filled with him, and I allow him to fill me, and I operate from the sovereign domain of the Spirit of God ruling and reigning in my life. And I press in, and I enter and live from the Spirit. That's his will. It is his will that you be Spirit-filled. So open your hands right Open up right now. Say it up right with me. Holy Spirit, fill me up. It is the will of the Father. Fill me up. Even where I don't want you, I give you permission to fill me up. Sanctified and set apart. Next slide. I might have spent a lot of time on this one. We hit a little quote, but his idea is that you possess, that you be, we be sexually pure. That's the idea. The will of God that we be sanctified and set apart in our generation. He's talking about sexual purity. Why? Because that's one of the ways that identity is marked that way. And one of the ways the church stands apart is the way that we, fit, we stand faithful in our sexuality and in our identity that way. And listen, we're never going to be perfect. You're never going to be perfect. But our track and our course is that we are the sanctified people. We are pro-marriage. We are pro-identity as God has defined identity. This is what we are. I won't say that word, so you don't have to worry about me, Sherry. Sherry's like, where's that word in the Bible, Kevin? So if you want to know what word I used in first service, you can go ask Sherry. She'll tell you. <laughs> it wasn't a bad word. <laughs> Heinrich said, just tell it like it is, Kevin. Tell it like it is. So anyway, say, I don't know if I should get married. If you have a passion and a desire for another person, you should get married. So the Bible says. But it's God's will that we be sanctified and set apart. It's God's will that you walk in destiny. That's what we were covering. Say this with me. Destiny comes through partnership. It's partnership. Partnership with heaven. That's how destiny comes. Last slide. How do we do it? Romans 12 says this. We present ourselves. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service, and not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to prove what the will and the acceptable will of God is. So how do we prove the will of God? How do the will of God come about? How does destiny? Number one is presenting ourselves. We have to present ourselves to the Lord. Not my will, but your will. Not what I want, but what you want. Not who I say I am, but who do you say I am. Not what I have a vision for my life, but take my vision for my, for my life and incorporate it into what you want. We submit ourselves. Destiny doesn't come into the believer, and power doesn't be released into the believer because of an unwillingness to present ourselves. We either think we can go it alone, or we don't understand that we need divine partnership. It's a divine partnership. We have to align. We present ourselves to the Lord. Humble. Submitted. Most people, what's the will of God? And they stand over here and go, what's the will of God for my life? What's the will of God for my life? I think my new answer is going to be that you be wholly submitted and humble before him. That's the first will. And if you want to wholly be humble and submitted before him, there is no other need for me to tell you any other will. Because that's the first will. Wholly submitted and humble before him. Because people, what we want is we want somebody to tell us the will so that they can agree with it or not. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, that's the will of God for me? I don't know. Off you go. Destiny won't come. Power won't come. Power comes when we present and submit ourselves unto the Lord. Believe and respond to who he, what he has called you to be. So destiny flows like this. Present with humility. Not my will, not my way, your way, your will, Lord, all of you, all of me for all of you. Then you believe and understand who it is that he's called you to be. Who are you, sons and daughters? This is, this is, this is the new you. We put off the old, we put on the new. I'm a son and daughter. Whether you feel like it, look like it, or act like it, it doesn't matter. The facts are heaven says you are. 
Who are you? you sons and daughters. What are you? You are heirs of that eternal world. His world is coming, and we rule and reign with him eternally. Jesus is coming for a kingdom, and he's coming with a kingdom. We're not going to be strumming harps. I tell you guys this all the time. We think in heaven we're going to be flowing harps. No, it will be a sovereign ruling kingdom. And there will be delegated authorities given to sons and daughters according to our service in this life, so it shall be in the next. All will be provided for. All will have abundance. All will be blessed. But there will be demarcations of authority and realms and rulerships designated to sons and daughters in this glorious kingdom according to our willingness of service and sacrifice in this one. That's just the way it is. It's in the Bible. So we are heirs of that world. We're heirs. That's who we are. We will inherit that world. And every one of you has an inheritance in that world now and eternally. And it's a kingdom of joy and fullness. And what are, so who are we? What are we? And why are we? Our identity is to bring, our purpose is to bring that world here. How do we do that? We do it through the uniqueness of the gifts and callings and talents that we are made. That's how we do it individually. We do it corporately, collectively. We bring heaven to earth. We, I mean, we're doing a church. This is heaven to earth right here. We do this church collectively. You guys support this church. This is why this church exists. This church has no benefactor beyond its people. The people are what make it happen. But what this is, is heaven to earth. When people come here, they encounter heaven. When people come here, they're touched by heaven. They're touched by God. Their lives are renewed. There's something happening. There's joy. There's community. There's fellowship. There's acceptance. There's love. There's healing. There's all kinds of great things that happen because heaven comes. We're pulling heaven to earth. This is one atmosphere. We want to do a school. Heaven's going to bring heaven. That, the goal is to bring heaven to earth. It's not going to be perfect. It's going to be messy. But we're going to go for it anyway. You know, but again, with the, corporately, the purpose is to bring heaven to earth. Individually, it's through who and what, how you were made. Occupation and vocation. We've talked about that. Understand these things and begin to align with him. When we align with him, heaven comes. King, his is the glory, the kingdom, and the power forever. So his glory comes. His goodness comes. His kingdom, his rulership, and his power comes. That's what ends up happening when we begin to walk out these things. But I want you to understand, and the, the filter that I'm inserting with you, and I'm going to pray, we're going to really, we're dismiss you guys, but a filter I'm trying to set into you this morning is that God has given you a delegated authority and a delegated responsibility. And your choices and your actions actively promote or negatively impact everything. And that everything that goes on in this world is not according to heaven's government. It's not. It's a it's direct relationship and direct proportion to the choices of people. Our ability to respond. You understand this? So what I want you to do is I don't want you to see God in light of that anymore. If you've ever seen him that way, that everything's God's will. Well, you know, the house blew up. Must have been God's will. No, somebody left the gas on. That's why the house blew up, you know. Doesn't mean God won't use it. He'll use it. So it doesn't mean if something bad happened, he won't use it. I got in a car accident. Well, God will use the car accident. Something negative happened. Well, God will use the negative experience, but that doesn't mean he brought it about. Understand that? Okay. All right. Love you guys. Yeah? I'm going to bless you. All right. Yes. If you're not in a growth group, get in a growth group.